On this next episode of Bootstrappers, we're going to talk about the transformative impact adopting NARPM accounting standards can have on your property management company. Additionally, we're going to bring in Daniel Craig, who is CEO of Profit Coach and co-author of the standards to tell us how it has impacted 200 property management companies that he's worked with. That is on the next episode of Bootstrappers. Welcome to Bootstrappers, a unique program designed to help make your business better. From property management to remote workers, Bootstrappers is here to help your business succeed. Bootstrappers is a production of Anaquim LLC. So let's lace up those business boots and join Bootstrappers with Jeremy and Gwen Aspen. Welcome to this episode of Bootstrappers, where we talk about topics that matter to real estate entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Gwen Aspen, here with my amazing spouse, Jeremy Aspen. It's me. And we're super excited about today's episode because we're actually going to talk about uh, NARPM, or National Association of Residential Property Managers, accounting standards, which Jeremy, I think, would attest to is one of the leading forces of tr- of dramatic change at our property management company with Star Group in Omaha. And not o- so I'm going to interview Jeremy a little bit about his experience of adopting the standards and then a little later we're going to bring in the CEO of Profit Coach, Daniel Craig, to talk to us about the genesis of the NARPM accounting standards because he was actually one of the co-authors of the big project that transformed our industry. And we'll ask him about some of the things that he's uh, realized since he's been working with several property management companies, about 200 property management companies across the country. So I can't wait to get to that. So Bootstrappers is sponsored by Anaquim. And Anaquim is a company that helps property management and real estate companies be more successful. Whether you need a virtual assistant, which we call remote professionals, or a 24-hour call center for maintenance, leasing, and call overflow, or you need, just generally speaking, back office support, we're your company. (laughs) Anaquim, we got you covered. And um, also, if you're a fan of the show, if you would share with your friends and like and subscribe YouTube, down in the bottom. You've all seen it. <laughs> like and subscribe and leave us a nice message. And uh, if you do a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will give you a little gift, which would be coming, which we'll find out what that is a little bit closer to the end during our uh, interview with Daniel. Uh, stay tuned to the end of the show and uh, we'll let you know what that is. And we love your feedback. Um, so let's get right to it. So I'm excited to talk about NARPM accounting standards, which I know may sound nerdy to some people listening, but uh, I would say, and I think you would agree, Jeremy, that NARPM accounting standards transformed our business in such a significant way. It, it's up there with the book Traction, which also transformed our business. Would you agree with that? Yes. And I want to just start off by saying thank you very much for having me this week. <laughs> I have been looking forward to be able to look in your eyes. Oh this my whole God, you're so Funny. Yeah, I, I'm just going to interview Jeremy a little bit because he did it the do-it-yourself way, which I think yeah. is how we do just about everything at Wistar Group. And before we even get to that, though, we should probably say that NARPM is our industry 
um, association. Yeah. And if you're not a member, we highly recommend you join. I highly recommend. So NARPM is the National Association of Residential Property Managers. It's kind of the residential version of IRAM, which is the Institute for Real Estate Management, both of which are um, worth being a part of if, if you have any of those kinds of properties in your portfolio. Uh, but NARPM, it's more, uh, it's mostly smaller companies, and but it's kind of a collective effort of making the industry more professionalized. We and, have a link uh, in the show okay. notes for NARPM, but they have amazing conventions. Right now, many of them are virtual. Um, they have local chapters. We couldn't um, advocate for them enough, especially since they came out, well, they funded this accounting yeah, uh, project. Yeah, and if there's one thing, I don't care what my dues are, have been, and and are on a go forward basis that they brought out the worked with uh, Daniel's company profit PM profit coach to to bring us standardized metrics for the industry and a chart of accounts is worth it forever will be worth it um, because it gave us a way to be able to measure where we are, how we are performing compared to other industries. Before this, we always- Compared to other companies. uh, Other companies in in our industry. What we used to have to do is kind of eyeball where we were related to or relative to other industries like maintenance companies or law firms you know there was no there was no standard way of understanding how you're performing this made a difference and it helps you when after you get it onboarded it helps you to it actually kind of makes decisions for you yeah you just know what the answer is and it's a matter of getting the getting that implemented. Well, before NARPM accounting standards, I know that when we were making big decisions at our company, we would get really insecure because we were le- none of our staff in the leadership uh, arena at Wistar Group had prior property management experience. We didn't really have anything to compare it to. And so NARPM gave us confidence to make big changes when we needed to make them because we knew where we fell in comparison to other property management companies. Yeah, we were at Wistar for years. We All we really knew is that we were more profitable than other companies that I'd you know, been speaking with. And that's pretty much the only thing we could be sure of. But so whenever it came time to make a change inside the company, we had a much harder time of being able to determine whether or not that change would be part of a successful overall strategy mm. or change. You know, we might be working in areas of the company that really didn't need focus, but got attention because like squeaky wheel. Or- yeah, the only way the ideas came up was when someone said, "Hey, what about this? This thing seems kind of inefficient," or some. Uh, an issue would come up and we maybe uh, gave it too much attention, gave it too much weight in our decision making and started to attack it as if though it were a problem. The NARPM standards made it so that when we have an idea, we can find out if it's going to affect this certain sliver of the company and and and, and be it for us to be able to identify, you know, it, w- related to the the metrics whether it's even worth paying attention to. So it helped you prioritize. Prior to, it, it did our prioritization and for us. And prior to that, you were just operating on your hunches. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the difference um, that it made. Okay, so when you adopted, first of all, how long did it take you to adopt the standards? It took me, so it took me a long time. This is something I want to ask Daniel, but um, I think when I first found out about it, I immediately, no joke, that day started on it. You did. I printed everything off. I read every single page. And I set up a plan to bring the NARPM chart of accounts and the metrics to the company. I have duties as the president of the company and there's always daily interruptions and whatnot, but um, it started then and it wasn't for, I think it was probably about five months uh, before I felt, before I was able to implement it. And um, it, Every bit of five months. So as you were implementing it, were there any surprises in your books that were just shocking to you? Or was it just backing up what you, your hunches already felt like were the key problems? Oh, I think, yeah, I don't, nothing stands out as, whoa, that was a major change. What happened was we were super efficient in some areas and not very efficient in other, other ones. Or one thing, we always kind of suspected that that our property management company was a loss leader, or no, that the maintenance department was a loss leader for the property management company. We thought we were charging too little and stuff like that. Um, But once we converted, we found out that no, in fact, the property management, I'm sorry, the maintenance division is actually a major profit center. And the property management group team isn't so it's more commoditized i mean it's it's doing better than most but it wasn't uh as profitable as we thought and before you did that weren't you weren't there some discussions about even getting rid of maintenance yeah i mean it yes it came up like hey we should probably just focus on our core competency which is property management and i mean we were pretty close to changing our entire model to one of having employees to one of having vendors so so this you're saying that the accounting standards is so important that you could without them without that financial clarity you could absolutely take your company in the wrong direction oh yeah oh, and it happens and we did make those mistakes i mean we look back now and there were things that we probably shouldn't have done um even structural like how much uh of the customer service department. Where does the customer service department go in terms of the financials? Well, that's something that otherwise, but for, uh, no, no, otherwise a property manager would have to do. So the whole cost of a customer service department actually goes to the property manager's Ah. um, expenses. And we were allocating it as its own kind of as department. As its own department. Right. And you could do that in other models of companies. But since we had the NARPM standards, that then we could just make the assumption that, no, no, this activity of answering the phone for tenants or owners is the responsibility of the property manager. That cost belongs to that mm. department. And then you can tell how many... Mm. Um, uh, like labor hours and how much right. money you should and allocate towards both customer service and property management. So here's one that came up here recently, um, <clears throat> relatively recently. We had two. We have 1,200 units, and up until recently, we had two property managers. So that number, if you're in the industry, it's it's kind of stupid. You should definitely have more than two property managers for 1,200. But we um, adjusted it a different way. 
We actually now have, and have for several months now, one property manager for all 1,200 units, and we have made up for it by having labor and customer service, leasing and applications, and stuff like that. Um, Mostly, in a lot of cases, remote labor and Anaquim labor, Um, but that made it so that we could identify the opportunity, and we pulled the trigger, and it works. One other thing, there was a while, years back, before we did the accounting standards, where you felt like we just had too many people. And we were actually thinking that the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing. And having too many people actually caused more problems. Oh, yeah, that's true. So not only were we spending too much on labor, but having too much labor actually caused the caused customer service failures. Yeah, and I'd kind of gotten out of the business for the, the uh, uh, at least the day-to-day operations, but w- yeah, just that happened. We had many people handling like customer service, leasing, the way it was structured is part of the issue. But what happened was people started answering the phones and promising that somebody else would call back because it was technically their other person's responsibility. And then so they wouldn't call back, the tenant would call back in, it would cause some problem, They'd, they would generate another internal call to say, hey, would you get back to this person? Oh, I didn't see it, I haven't looked at my e-. It Static, was, that's it, how I refer to it as, as static. But by um, streamlining the actual number of people in the department, um, we've been able to reduce the number of calls that even come in because they're instantly taken care of. Yeah, it's amazing how having less labor, people always think throw people at problems, but having less labor not only made us more profitable, but also cut down on problems. And that was kind of an unexpected benefit. Um, Well, unexpected, you might have unexpected, I knew it. (laughs) So another thing, um, let's talk about the leadership's team focus. Yeah, so every single month, every single week during the Traction's uh, level 10 meeting, we touch on all of the measuring, all of the um, metrics that we can for the week. And at the end of every month, we go over last month's metrics for the monthly numbers, uh, the monthly metrics. And, you know, if they're out of line, we know for sure that a company our size should be better at this. And mm-hmm. so we are going to do this. What's that look like? Now, if it's labor, okay, well, we have to grow or we have to get rid of some labor. And we've had to make some of those tough decisions, but. I think the other thing that has been helpful with this is it gets everybody on the same page. I think when you don't have everybody laser focused on one thing like profitability, people can have pet projects. And they get so obsessed with their pet project that they lose focus of the end goal, which is making money. And so what adopting the accounting standards has done is said, we are all, and this is our pet project. Everybody's responsible to some degree. We're all focused on this, getting more profitable, um, uh, getting better than the standards, and it kind of c- created this core focus. Would you agree? Well, to, to a certain degree. The leadership team works on the, on the net profit, but what I love about these metrics is like the one of them it's very important and i'm sure we'll talk about it daniel is the dler which is the direct labor expense ratio so what we can do is charge the departments each department with maintaining at least a 2.0 direct labor efficiency ratio that means for every one dollar of labor 
that we pay, we are bringing in $2 of revenue. So with that, we know that we're at least baselined, that we're, we have something to start with, something to work with, and we're kind of in the normal category. Um, and each department has that. So as long as they're going that direction or surpassing it, we know that, that a big chunk of the business is taken care of. They don't need to see the profitability because profitability is born from managing that mm. number. Great, I love that so much. Well, um, it's really helpful to hear your story. Is there any other takeaways that you would want to give other property managers based on If they're not at NARPM.org, and we should put that down here. It will. Because, it's going to be in the yeah, show. Yeah, that's a big deal. I would just do it. Just go just to go up. to NARPM, sign up, sense. get your accounting and it, standards, and adopt them. And right they're on. not advertising on this show. We don't do it anything that way. It's worth it. For sure. Great. Uh, but let's get Daniel here on the phone. Yeah, absolutely. We are so happy to speak with Daniel Craig today. He is CEO of Profit Coach and the co-author of the NARPM Accounting Standards. And first off, Daniel, I'm going to call you Danny because I know you well. And that's, that's great. I let's always just keep know it you as Danny. But let's just keep it casual. We are super grateful for your contribution to the industry. I think that's the first thing because it's it's a huge deal to have standards so you know where you stand uh, in comparison to other property management companies. So kudos to you and a big thank you. So thank you. Hey, I appreciate that. It's been a crazy ride and it's been super fun getting to look inside of probably around uh, 200 companies books and see what goes on in these uh, awesome property management businesses that everybody's running out there. So it's been it's been it's been fun. Oh, cool. Um, so I would say now, I guess I should ask, NARPM numbers, these accounting standards that have been set up, were they, was that project brought up by you? Was there some sort of consolidation of the industry that promoted it? Uh, was it a hedge against consolidation? Like, why did it start? Yeah. I think it's long been needed because um, we've all, for years, we were just kind of floating out there going, ah, how are we compared to industry on average? But this professionalized, how what brought it about? Yeah, so uh, here's here's basically the backstory. I like telling the story. It's kind of uh, ties into one of my most boneheaded mistakes, and I'll share that okay. in just a moment. But um, <laughs> what happened was we started this uh, accounting and financial advising company a number of years ago with the goal of really helping business owners leverage their financials and their accounting to actually improve the bottom line performance of their business. It's a pretty well-known reality that for many CPAs, they're just crunching tax returns and not really providing financial advice. And so as a financial advising and, and accounting firm, we wanted to really turn the tide on that. And so we ran this company for a number of years, servicing a, a variety of industries. And uh, we're like, you know what, if we're really gonna deliver on this promise of really providing best in industry insight and financial clarity for our clients, we really need to have one industry where we can be the best. And so we looked at a bunch of different industries and ultimately uh, landed on a property management through a series of events and, and God guiding us from one thing to the next. And so uh, we're like, we're gonna do this financial advising thing for property management. And one of our partners, Jordan Muela, came up with this uh, harebrained idea. He's like, well, what, what what better way to establish our authority in this industry than to do a national 
financial benchmarking study. I don't think anything's been done like this in the industry before. And of course, uh, naive me, I'm like, hey, that sounds like a great idea. Let's just go ahead and extract the financial data from 50 different companies, four different property management softwares, can't be that hard. And let's get all these financial pieces together in one big spreadsheet and uh, it's gonna be amazing. So this is back in 2017 and the P&Ls start flowing in from the property management companies and we got everything. I got- I'm sure you did. (laughs) Yeah, I got tidy P&Ls. The worst one was a P&L on a Word document um, (laughs) with someone who had put together their own numbers typed out in a Word document. I'm just like, oh, Uh. how am I supposed to? How am I supposed to use this? Or believe so, it. Um, basically, all of these financials came in, and this this is relevant, on completely different charts of accounts. And so we began this process of trying to standardize the data. And we realized in order to do that, we basically needed to come up with a, uh, a, an overarching chart of accounts that we could use to provide cross-comparison. So um, it was a total nightmare project. Uh, you know, we're, we're on the phone with clients for hours, like, is this a business expense or is this Disneyland or what is this? Um, trying to get financial clarity from all of these financials. In any event, what happened was uh, we produced the uh, financial study. It, it, it rolled out on time, barely, for the 2018 PM Growth Summit. And we released the uh, results and it was really the first time that people had seen a meaningful financial benchmarking uh, study for this industry. And uh, a lot of you guys know the name Brad Larson. He liked what we did and uh, bless Brad's heart. He's like, NARPA needs to get behind this. We need a national chart of accounts. We need a national set of metrics definitions and a national set of benchmarks. So he really uh, pushed the project to NARPM in 2018. Um, and they hired us uh, in 2018 to write the NARPM accounting standards, which is four parts, a standardized chart of accounts. And then on top of that, a standard set of metrics definitions so that we can have meaningful apples to apples conversations around what's your revenue per unit or what's your profit per unit or you know what is your net operating income. Um, in a complicated business model with different streams of income, whether it's brokerage or property management or maintenance, we really needed to get some clear definition around metrics. And then thirdly, a standard set of benchmarks and finally some internal controls guides for uh, this industry. So uh, that's really the genesis of the project was uh, the need and the desire to have meaningful apples to apples uh, comparison conversations and the NARPM accounting standards uh, was what we built to facilitate that. So what would you say the penetration has been so far? And let's just stay inside the sphere of of NARPM, that universe. I'm sure it was welcomed because God knows it was definitely uh, necessary. But it's one thing to have access to this tool, and which I think is one of the most important tools that's ever uh, come to my attention. But it's another thing to implement it because it is like to you, which you'd mentioned, or at least hinted at, it's complicated, right? So yeah. is it make, are you getting some traction in the industry? Is it, is it changing us? Oh man, Jeremy. Yeah. I mean, I've just been, it's it, frankly, you know, I've got the document right here and it's about 110 pages of relatively boring minutia. Um, just in terms of like, you know, who geeks out on a chart of accounts. And I think it's an extremely 
fundamental foundation for financial clarity. And so my anticipation was that maybe there will be a little a bit of you know pop and fizzle at the front end, um, and and that people would kind of you know not really see the value of it in the long term. But that hasn't been the case. I think that uh, while I don't have percentages of adoption, it does seem like even you know small business owners have really gotten their heads around the value behind it. Now, whether or not they're all adopting it correctly, I can't vouch for that. I will say that you know we've done a fair bit of review of other people's adoption of the chart of accounts, and there's often um, you know things to be desired. But overall, in terms of buy-in, I've been really, really happy with it. So what has been the most surprising thing after you've taken a look under the hood at, what did you say, 250 or so? Yeah, somewhere, somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 companies. 200, company, uh, 200 companies. What is the most surprising factor that's kind of popped out at you? Yeah, well, I think that it's maybe not so much a matter of the books themselves, because let's face it, you can, you know, you don't need absolutely a standard chart of accounts to get clarity. I think it really helps. I think it really helps. But uh, I think the biggest thing that's been surprising is just the lack of of clarity that people operate their businesses with and the Mm. amount of financial fog that we as entrepreneurs, and I'm going to say we because I got to put myself right in the mix on this, the amount of financial fog that we're willing to tolerate on a day in and day out basis. And if you can't say amen, you probably should say ouch, because at the end of the day, you know, that's what we do as entrepreneurs. We go out there and hustle. We make stuff happen. We sell stuff. We push product out the door. And um, oftentimes we don't take the time to do meaningful retrospection on what's going on in our business. And if we do, it's often at the end of the year, 12 months after it's already occurred. You know what I'm saying? And so it's, it's often not in real time. I'll never forget the conversation I had with someone who came up to our booth at a broker owner convention. And he saw our banner that we do virtual CFO advising for property management companies. And he's like, you know what? I think I'm set right now. I'm pretty profitable. Well, being the uh, precocious salesperson that I am, I said, well, that's great. Um, You know, just about how profitable are you? And he goes, "Uh, I don't know. Um, How would I calculate that? (laughs) uh, But but, but let's face it. I think that's how we run our businesses a lot of times. I think we have this gut sense, hey, more money is in the bank today than there was 30 days ago. Yep. My, my, my uh, life must be good. And that's, let me say this, that's one of the dangers of this particular industry is it's uh, a very, very, um, in terms of cash flow management, as a general rule, it's very easy to manage because there's not a high degree of AR in this business. There's almost mm-hmm. no AR. In fact, um, the amount of trade capital needed to run these businesses is pretty low because most mm-hmm. of us collect management fees on the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth of the month or whatever it is, right? And so you're getting your money in real time. And so you kind of don't feel like you need to stay on top of the numbers as much because typically cash in the bank is not as much of an issue. But what you miss in that equation is what is the actual financial performance of your business model? And that to me is to answer your question, what has been surprising is people's lack of clarity on what their revenue model is, what their labor model is, what their expense model is, and what their growth model is. I like to kind of break it out into those uh, four areas. And that's when, like, when I had heard that this was happening, that you guys were bringing this to NARPM, that was so important to me to be able to have that clarity, to be able to throw an anchor out of my boat and have it land somewhere from which 
I could measure where I was, you know, I could be able measure uh, how far away I was from that anchor, from the, the yeah. depth, uh, the bottom, right? Yeah. Um, that clarity. And so what I did, and, and honestly, I feel a little guilty about this. Um, I read everything. I read every single page of everything you guys wrote. Um, and I never paid you guys anything for it. You mentioned that NARPM did pay you. So I feel like, okay, I, I got it. <laughs> Your membership I, went my, to some... Yeah, my membership went to the right thing. And I'll probably always renew for that purpose uh, or for no other reason than that. They I'll be sure to tell. I'll I'll be sure to tell the board that. Yeah, do. I mean, I it is probably the most important thing, not just for what we do at Wistar Group in Omaha, but also through Anaquim, and we're talking to other companies, and we're trying to help them determine what they actually need to do to become a better management company. Because it comes right down to it, financials. That we need to know how you're performing. Do you have too many remote assistants? Which is possible. That happens. Um, and you can tell that by how much money they spend on it. Yeah. You know, I just thought it was the best, um, um, the, the best thing to happen to the industry. My question is, was it typical? Or do a lot of people do it like I did? Just uh, kind of read the books and change their chart of accounts and build a report that has the metrics and whatnot? Or um, I would I would recommend not doing it because it's super hard hiring yeah. maybe somebody else like you guys, but is it typical or is it normal? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, I can't speak for the number of people that have done self-adoption. Most of the people that we speak to have hired us uh, to implement the NARPM accounting standards because there's really two pieces here. Number one, you want you want to, you really, first of all, the simplest part, honestly, is getting the chart of accounts in place. Right. Um, what's more complicated is making sure that the coding of your financial data underneath the chart of accounts is accurate. Anybody can put a chart of accounts in, but is your data and your corporate accounting software reflective of that chart of accounts is a bigger question. Do you have your direct labor and your management labor and your sales labor properly allocated so you can run meaningful metrics around direct labor efficiency or um, your customer acquisition cost? Are you properly separating out things like new owner advertising versus is vacancy advertising um, those 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 kinds of questions so the the more complicated piece is uh, making sure that the data is accurate and then from there correctly calculating the metrics and comparing yourself is to us where the juice is and so when we go in and work with a client we number one convert the chart of accounts number two we do two years worth of historical mm -hmm. data reclassification and our team is i mean we're not putting bots, bots on this you know we have little bookkeepers going in there reviewing transactions saying like no no geek marketing needs to go over here whatever it is we get that in place and then we do an, an in-depth 24 month analysis pulling 24 months of unit data from their property management software marrying that with 24 months of financial data we produce um, an analysis that <clears throat> calculates all of the metrics compared to key benchmarks and that to us is where the juice is because that's where you get the value out of the data that says here's where the goal is here's where we stand today and then from there you can have a meaningful conversation on how you close that gap so now that you've been working with property management companies and you get people set up on the chart of accounts and they're implementing it throughout their whole operation. When all that is kind of rolling and happening, how much time should a CEO 
of a property management company really spend digging into this data? Because I think what happens is a lot of people will just, they're just so involved in the operations that they don't give themselves adequate time to do the deep dive of analysis. Should mm-hmm. it be like a day a week or what do you think best practices are? Well, I think it really, you need to start by asking yourself, if you are a CEO listening to this podcast, you need to ask yourself, what is your job? And I think the job of the CEO is to own the financial outcome of the business. Um, you know, there's a lot of other things you could spend your time on as CEOs, but at the end of the day, why are you in business? Why are you in business? It's, it's kind of to make money, uh, right? I mean, yes. at least that's why I'm in business. Yes, exactly. Um, and so, <laughs> if that is the you know end goal of the business then how much of your time should be spent around monitoring, managing, and improving on that outcome? I can't give you a specific percent. Um, I can tell you, I think it's probably, I should probably spend more time in that for sure. Um, but here's what I would say. The, the question is, how clear are you on what your goals are in the company, from the company and then th- those goals are on several levels like what are your goals personally as to what you want to take out of the business that's where i would start and i know we're getting a little farther afield from um an arpa accounting standards here and just talking more o- overall sure. financial management but i think this is really crucial because what your personal goals are from the business really to a large extent should define your overall goals for the company in terms of growth and financial output. And from there, you can work your way back and say, here are the revenue targets that we need to hit at such and such profitability rates in order to be able to achieve my why for why I'm in business. Because at the end of the day, change in business is hard. And if you're not connected back to your personal why for why you're in business, the reality is, is you're probably not going to take action on the hard changes that you need to get your financial performance to where it needs to be. So to your question, how much time should you be spending? I would say, number one, spend as much time as you need to spend till you're clear on what your why is, till you know what the implications of that why are for the business outcomes in the next three to five years. And then number three, till you have a monthly seasonal forecast for the next 12 months that charts your progress towards that three to five year goal. And until you're clear on that, don't stop. Just stay in there, get clear on where you are today, get clear on what that 12-month forecast is. And then from there, you can have a meaningful, recurring, accountable financial conversation in your quarterly meetings, in your weekly level 10 meetings if you're on traction. Um, I think once you get that core nub of clarity around what the goals are of the business and how that translates out to the next 12 months, probably once that's dialed in, then you can back off the time and just integrate it into your weekly scorecard review. Oh, so there's that's so helpful. Yeah, uh, there's that T word traction again. I know. That thing pops up all the time. Um, so the change uh, when it when it comes time to onboard or when you've taken on a client, it yeah. sounds like you go back 24 months. There's going to have to be some time that is invested by the client of cha- making changes, maybe operational, mm-hmm. certainly financial. How long does a company need? And I know this is there's many answers, but let's just average it from the time that they're onboarded to the time that you feel like they are now aware of uh, what they need to do and are doing it and then Mm -hmm. are more in a position where they can start to 
uh, do budgeting a little easier by taking numbers and extrapolating them uh, of a machine that you've created and extrapolating them into future numbers. What's that timeline look like? Yeah, good question. I mean, we have about a, a, a three-week timeline for our engagements where we convert people, do an analysis, get on the phone with them, and create an initial forecast. So honestly- That's fast. Um, the for, yeah, the forecasting piece doesn't need to wait because uh, the model that we've built out over the last two years really uh, leverages what your financials are telling us today, which we can get clear on immediately, and then what you think the projections are for the future. Now, there's probably gonna be some fine tuning of that forecast over the following months, but it really three weeks uh, is kind of that initial wow. time period for converting if you're doing it with assistance and getting that initial clarity on where you are today and that initial clarity on where you wanna go. From there, I mean, I really do think it probably takes 12 months for people to get acquainted with the numbers and start making starting to start start making meaningful changes. Oftentimes, what we have found is that it's crisis that pushes people over the edge mm. to make change. And I'll just say a moment, say for a moment, you know, crisis is a gift because it it it's often the push that we need to make changes. Some of the most profitable changes that I've seen in companies come as a result of a termination mm. or someone leaving. Um, oftentimes the hardest changes are on the labor side of things. So a lot of times people just wait till that moment of crisis occurs and then that kind of pushes them over the edge. So typically I would say six to 12 months to really uh, see the impact of the financial clarity in terms of getting the changes pushed down into your labor model and your pricing model would be the big areas. So just for clarity's sake, so you are the CEO of Profit Coach. What are the various products that you all offer property managers? Yeah. So um, you know, we're the leading provider of comprehensive financial services for property management companies. And so we have everything from virtual CFO services down to daily bookkeeping and accounting services for trust and corporate accounting. And so um, that's the range of our services. When we go in and start an engagement with a client, it typically starts with a one-off engagement, which is our initial uh, conversion to the NARPM accounting standards along with our initial financial performance review, the analysis I was just talking about a moment ago where we do the conversion and then get on the phone with them for the first time. And typically in that first call, uh, we can uncover somewhere in the neighborhood of around $50,000 worth of profit generating insights from wow. that first call. So we like to call it the $50,000 call. And so wow. uh, that's yeah, that, it's really exciting. And, and, and it's so fun when people see the light, you know, when you see the light bulbs going off and people connecting the dots on the things they can do, you know, on Monday morning to start making significant change in their business. So that's where it all starts. And then from there, um, people opt into our monthly virtual CFO ongoing service where we're continuing to do the analysis for them on a monthly basis, continuing to forecast for them and one-on-ones and -one with our advising team and mastermind groups. So that's the virtual CFO uh, side of things. And then we have full service trust and corporate accounting uh, as well. And so um, that's the range of services. And typically we start with the one-off conversion to the accounting standards. And then from there, we get clear on what their ongoing needs are. All right. And so then just to put this into perspective, when I went and did this analysis by myself, well, the conversion to NARPM standards, 
and then the analysis and then the implementation. It took me five months. And I was, <laughs> I, I, you know, I was occupied with other stuff. Um, but, you know, you say three weeks. Had I had an opportunity or known better, that three weeks could have bought me a lot more productivity in the meantime. Like I would have rather had a fifty thousand dollar call at the front end. And yeah, yeah. I don't want this to sound like an advertisement because that's not what we're trying to do here. But I would say um, that would have saved me a ton. Yeah, of time. and I would say that you were fair as your wife. Uh, you were very laser focused on doing this and yeah. just getting the information. At, we use Rent Manager, but. You know, you started it right when it came out. So there wasn't any, you know, a lot of guidance on how to go about extracting the numbers from the system and changing the chart of accounts. Uh, But that part just alone, just the reporting part was pretty, took a long time for you. Oh, it took forever. I'm sure, Danny, you've used all the different softwares. I'm sure you have tricks of the trade to make it take a lot. We've got a few up our sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So um, you're an entrepreneur. You've been working with entrepreneurs. Um, you know, we all make huge mistakes at one point or another. What would you say your biggest boneheaded move has been in business? Well, I'll give you kind of a, a, a one-time deal. And then what I'd say is my ongoing Achilles heel. Um, the, the one-time deal was this nutso uh, uh, benchmarking project that I already told you about. Uh, what I didn't tell you is that if we had a massive amount of scope creep, um, oh. we, we, we probably bit off way more than we should. We took on so many different softwares. And as you guys know, extracting historical unit data from property management softwares is not, yeah, okay. Right, <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's something we should probably talk about. I mean, there are a yeah. lot of things. Okay, I won't interrupt, I'm gonna make a note. Yeah, yeah, but so so we, we bit off way too much, and I'm not gonna tell you guys exactly <laughs> how close we cut this, but suffice it to say, um, we were crunching the data way too close to the time I got up on stage to release it. And so, um, that's probably my biggest boneheaded thing. Uh, God was gracious, and you know we we didn't have any fallout, and we 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 nailed the numbers. Um, so I can t- attest to that. But your what work, happened? Your uh, work life balance sucked a little bit. For yeah, 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 bit. yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> some of the team started to have like you know some level of emotional breakdown and whatnot. But so that that being said, it 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 was kind of one of those watershed moments for our company, and we got through it. The so, and this is more into the nitty gritty. But what are the most important metrics that you've seen? The ones that you maybe you measure yeah. that by jumping in first totally. with these five, and then maybe some subcategories. <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Super easy question to answer um, because there's about thirty metrics in the uh, metrics document, maybe even more. And um, as I've done this analysis for, you know, like I said, in the neighborhood of 200 companies, I've looked at what the what what stories continue to come up over and over again in terms of what the story that the numbers tell. So let me just give you six. I'll rattle them off real quickly. <clears throat> the number one place to start is what is your operating profit margin for property management? Um, because we can look at maintenance, we can look at brokerage, and those are both important things to do. But we are talking about property management businesses first and foremost. And you need to get really crystal clear 
on what the performance of just your property management business is. Amen. Because I firmly believe that property management can drive a very substantial profit on its own. And you need to know if your brokerage department or your maintenance department is propping, propping up your property management department. Right, you're so gonna let one, property management, you don't want your property management company to be a lost leader. I don't, I don't think there's any re right. reason to do that. People say, well, you know, I've, this is where the excuses start to come out. Well, I've got a different model and, you know, my property management business is just a loss leader for maintenance and brokerage. And I'm like, well, why not make a great profit on all three of them? Right. I know right. people who do it. Right. And you right. can't do So, yeah. um, number one, get clear on what that bottom line operating profit margin of your business is and make sure it includes a market-based salary for yourself as the owner. Big deal. Don't goof off yep. with your owner compensation. And make sure, I mean, if you are goofing off, just make sure you adjust just for it and know what your profitability is after your market-based owner compensation. So that you Number can two, compare it to Direct labor companies. efficiency. Do what? Absolutely, okay. yep. Number, number two is uh, direct labor efficiency. And um, this is so significant. This is my desert island metric um, because it measures the two most important things in your business model, your pricing, which is uh, derivative of your revenue per unit. And secondly, your spend on labor and the efficiency with which you're deploying that labor spend. How much you charge and how much you spend on labor are the two biggest defining things of, uh, two biggest components of what define your bottom line profitability. And direct labor efficiency as a metric combines those two factors and answers the question, how many dollars of revenue do we get for every dollar that we spend on direct labor? So we could have a whole hour long discussion on that, but that's super key. Number three would be your revenue per unit. Where's your money coming from in terms of your overall model? How much is coming from management fees versus other ancillary fees? And more importantly, how much, uh, <clears throat> how does your uh, revenue com uh, per unit compared to your average rent as a percentage. In other words, we have found that if your average rent is 1500 or below, you should be able to get between 15 and 20% of your average rent in total revenue per unit. If your average rent is above 1500, you should be able to get between 10 and 15% of your average rent in total revenue per unit. So just a quick example, if you're at $1,000 average rent, your revenue per unit should be uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 to 200 bucks a month, okay? So that's super key. Number four is where are all of, where's all the money going in terms of key categories of expenses as a percent of revenue? So I've kind of rolled up a number of metrics into this, but you need to know how much you're spending on payroll taxes and benefits as a percent of revenue, how much you're spending on marketing, how much you're spending on facilities, how much you're spending on other operating expenses, how much you're spending on management labor. So getting those percentages dialed in uh, and knowing if you're spending way too much on, you know, uh, overhead is really clear. I'll give you an anecdote. Um, the uh, average spend for uh, facilities and other operating expenses, which is kind of just your general non-labor overhead, those two categories combined should be around 18 to 20% of revenue. And if you're wondering, well, what do those two categories include? Just go check out the NARPM standard chart right. accounts. That'll right. answer the question. Um, but those two categories should be between 18 and 20% of revenue if you want to operate at peak profitability. I've seen companies easily spending 40 to 50% on those two categories. And, you know, conventions are great, trips are great, but at the, at, at the end of the day, you kind of need to know what your budget is for overhead spend. And so if that's you're a, doing that, that, that's the four. 
if you're doing that, you're subsidizing your property management company, and that probably means your property management uh, company isn't optimized, and so yeah. your clients aren't even in a good position to hire you in the first place. I, I mean, yeah. I, I'm deriving that from my thoughts on it, but um, if you aren't running an efficient property management company, you can't honestly tell your clients that you're a good choice because you need there to be sales in order to really take home any money. Yeah, you need to have a sustainable business. Last two metrics super fast would be customer acquisition costs. How much are you spending per unit to to acquire a new unit in terms of both your advertising spend and your BDM or sales person spend? And then finally, churn rate. Um, what is your annual churn on a on a on a trending basis? We like to look at all of these metrics on a rolling twelve trend, so you know month over month what is our annual average? Uh, is it going up or is it going down? That really tells a lot about your customer experience. So those are the six metrics. Those awesome. uh, and they are all important. It is fun to have these these metrics and to be able to watch them every month in our level 10 meeting we have those metrics and we track them well every week in some cases but certainly every month uh and it is game changing if for no other reason just knowing where you stand right (laughs) Mm -hmm. like knowing that you're not sucking you know compared to other people in the industry um so what do you find out is when you go into a company what are the things that are changed like the facilities expense uh i know that here we at wistar group are changing our office because of these metrics because we were spending too much money uh Mm -hmm. to maintain this facility Mm -hmm. and we really probably wouldn't have known that we knew we we were in too big of a space but not by how much by by how big of a space we are in um what other kinds of example like what typically happens when you go in Sure. Well, for starters, um, the the easiest place to start is your pricing model. Um, that is uh, one of the most significant drivers of profitability. Um, actually, let me reverse that that order. Uh, give me give me give me the chance to restate that. Uh, revenue per unit is the easiest way to improve direct labor efficiency. Um, so that's that's where we start when we're trying to improve direct labor efficiency is to just get your pricing up to where it needs to be. Honestly, it's a whole lot easier to charge your existing clients more than it is to get your current staff to be more productive. Just mm, is. Yeah, that's good a insight. good point. Yeah. And so you start there. Uh, and then from there, in terms of manipulating direct labor efficiency, you really just need to get under the hood as to what your people are spending their time on. It's really as simple as that. And here's an antiquant plug. When we go in and uh, do our labor analysis, we ask people to ask themselves three questions about their team members. Number one, what are you doing that shouldn't be being done? This is the critical place to start because you need to analyze your scope of services and get clear on where scope creep is happening in your business Mm. and just stop it. Um, Number two, uh, what are you doing that can be done faster? How can you implement workflow automations or other systems to streamline your processes? And then number three, what can you? Uh, what are you doing that could be done cheaper? And that's where you really start to parse out these roles and say, okay, we've had a leasing agent, but of that function, how much of that needs to be done by a licensed leasing agent in the U.S. versus someone who can prepare lease documents, review applications somewhere else in the world for a third of the cost? 
So those three questions. That is so true. That's, that sounds like our sales pitch. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So, so that's that's on the labor efficiency side of things. And then in, just in terms of other expenses, here's I'll just give you a couple examples. Um, marketing spend. You know, people go to a conference and they're like, grow, 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 grow. And they leave the conference thinking, grow, 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 grow. And they start spending stupid money on growth without tracking the ROI on that marketing investment. And you Absolutely. Just, you, just, you just need to get clear on what those dollars are getting you. All right. So we often have people dial back that marketing spend or mismanaged salespeople. Hey, everybody's hiring BDMs. I should hire a BDM. And what's more, I know nothing about sales, so I'm going to hire a rock star BDM that can do this whole sales process without even me managing him. And that's a recipe for failure. Yeah. So, if you, um, yeah, especially market, if you don't have a system in place that can maintain your current base, exactly. much less uh, you know something that's triple in size. Yeah. A yeah. couple other ones: concessions. Um, I believe in customer experience. But if your staff isn't trained in how to handle uh, issues with tenants and owners, they're going to take the path of least resistance, mm. which is always, well, let's just send them a refund. Yes. Um, and so that's that's a big area. Um, other, other quick areas would be technology spend. Um, just make sure that you're getting your ROI on this technology. When every software in this industry is a dollar per unit per month, right. it, it, it it adds up. And use the um, full functionality I, of that software. Yeah, I see, absolutely. When we go yep. into companies, we're always seeing people use maybe 10% of the software that they have, and then they buy three different softwares when one has all the functionality, but they just don't exactly. know how to use it. Exactly. Um, and then a couple other ones would be your facilities costs, rent, phone. Um, those are some big ones. I will also say that you know, I'm a consultant, so I don't want to, you know, give consultants a bad rap here. But you do need to make sure that you're pacing your spend on consulting with your ability to actually get the value out of that and implement changes mm -hmm. from it. And I've seen some pretty high spends for like consulting. business coaches and stuff like that. Business coaches, sales coaches, financial coaches, whatever it is. I, I believe in coaching consulting, obviously, but just make sure that you're tying all of this back to a budget, not impulse buying, because someone said you should do that at a PM conference. That's so great. <laughs> Sounds That's like such <laughs> great information. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I have seen that happen at those conferences. And that's where the energy comes from, like an ability to do, an ability, access to something that you can do differently and then the balls to actually do something differently, whether or not you can afford it. Like, yeah, like, it, yeah they're always kind of thinking, there. Yeah, there's a, bl a bright blue future in the uh, coming up, but boy, you better be able to pay for it. Um, I don't know. We're probably running out yeah. of your time. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, Danny, though, because you are such a introspective person. I love always picking your brain. What is one of the your favorite books? No, what sure. is your favorite I didn't answer book? the second half of your boneheaded uh, question. So oh, let, me, yeah. let me answer that. I gave yeah. you kind of my one-time deal. But I would say my overall day-to-day -day boneheaded thing is a lack of focus on where I can contribute the most value in this company and then delegating away the things where I contribute low value. And mm. that to me is where we need to be focusing our times as CEOs and managers is take a ruthless look at everything that comes across our, our table and make sure we're, we're, we're focusing on those high value tasks. I have uh, on my wall up here, two key questions. What are the behaviors habits, disciplines, activities, thought patterns of a 10x self-managing and self-multiplying team? And does what I'm about to do either expand 
or leverage that 10x behavior. And I use that, I, I need to do a lot better job of using that as a framework for scrutinizing what I do and then delegating away the rest. So that's my- I that's love my... that. I'm working on that too. Well, and it's funny because that was one of the things we wanted to talk to you about was uh, you know queuing up a company for sale because you're not gonna be able to do that unless yeah. you have a way, at least some sort of standardized way of presenting your information to a potential buyer, which the NARPM accounting standards do, 10X to high number, it's doable. We're not gonna talk about it this time, darn it. We're gonna end up having We'll, we'll have, have to you have you out again. Okay, uh, let's do it again. And the book. Book, what's your favorite, favorite book? book? So uh, besides the Bible, my two favorite books, number one for finance, Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits by Greg Crabtree. If you read it, you'll see a lot of uh, the concepts that he's laid out in that book are concepts that we've integrated into the NARPM accounting standards. So he's uh, a mentor of ours and uh, just really boots on the ground financial framework for entrepreneurs in that book. And then secondly, traction, just going to say, oh my gosh, Uh, I know, right. And a game changer for our business. It's so easy for us to be unaccountable as entrepreneurs. And if you want to drive change in your business, you need accountability. Couldn't agree more on that one. Well, uh, and we'll get into this later, but if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will send you one of Danny's favorite books. You can even ask which it. one you want in yeah, the that's comments. That's right. yeah. So Danny, we want to say thank you so much, not only for being on our show today, but for what you've contributed to the industry. It is an absolute game changer and you should be so proud of it because of how it's transforming small businesses every day and I I mean that from the bottom of my heart. So thank you oh, so thank much. You. Thanks a million, Daniel. Yeah. We'll talk yeah, absolutely. soon. At the end of the day, we're in this uh, for freedom. That's why entrepreneurs go into business. And if you want freedom of time, freedom of finances, freedom of purpose, freedom of relationships, you owe it to yourself to get clear on the finances of your business. And uh, we really think that the NARPM accounting standards are the first step to that clarity. Uh, here, here, I second <laughs> that. And I third Thanks it. a million, Thank Daniel. You, we'll Daddy. talk to you later. Take care, guys. All right, we'll see you. This has been Bootstrappers, a unique presentation designed to help you better understand how the world turns. Contact Gwen or Jeremy at posts at bootstrappers.club or visit our website, anaquim.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, and our YouTube channel. Thank you and join us next time for Bootstrappers.